Hey, what's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? You made it to church. Thanks for being here and making space to be uh, with us this Sunday morning. We're so glad that you're here. If you're new, welcome. Uh, welcome to ACF. We just hope that you'd find a, a safe community to grow and to learn with here. And that th this feels like home. We hope that uh, you feel welcomed home as you came today. Let's also give a hu huge hand to everyone who's with us online. Let's thank them for being with us as well. If you're online, we'd love for you just to share uh, this Facebook post and let your friends know what are, what's happening here at ACF. If you're here, you can jump on Facebook and just share uh, the live feed of this service. And if you've got family members or people who are out of town uh, that can join us in this service. We also know there are people who are deployed right now, uh, people who have just moved away and not found a church home. And if you're with us, uh, you're part of our family. Thanks for joining us today. So before we get too much into the message, um, a couple of weeks ago we did what's called Dollar for Change. And Dollar for Change is simply an offering we take throughout the year. We ask you to bring in $1 bills, uh, not more than that, just simply $1 bills. And, and the, the goal is to see what might happen if everybody binds together and contributes a little bit. And uh, a few weeks ago, we raised over $1,800 bills, which was amazing. Yeah, you can thank God for that. That's awesome. It's super generous of you. And uh, we got to use that to bless a mom. And so grab your tissues and take a look at this. Hey guys, Pastor Stewart here, and I am here today uh, with Dollar for Change. And uh, if you're not familiar with what Dollar for Change is, it's where we ask every uh, grown-up and kid at ACF Church to bring in one dollar. Uh, we put it in a box, we collect it, and then we go out and we do something in the community with that money uh, just to show the love of Jesus Christ. Adams and I'm the executive director of Priceless, which is an organization which partners with law enforcement to rescue and walk with victims of sex trafficking here in the state of Alaska. We are so focused on kind of that moment of, of rescue when things are in big crisis mode and we have to come alongside a girl for just safety and put a roof over her head and um, sometimes the, the big dreams that we hear are you know I just want to be behind a deadbolt where I know no one's going to come in at night. It is amazing uh, the work that Priceless is doing in our community and uh, because of their generosity and matching our funds uh, we were able to take that dollar that you gave combine it together and and absolutely uh, do amazing things with it. To be able to come alongside one of our girls after a, a season of recovery and um, not just focus on meeting those basic needs but get to lavish on her in the way that God lavishes his love on us has been such a blessing and ACF made that possible for this young mom. When we walked into this apartment uh, today, there were literally no toys here. Uh, there was uh, very little uh, baby equipment. Uh, this is really a ground up uh, setup for a mom. out of such a tragic, horrible past and found herself in a situation being homeless with three children and one on the way. Um, and that's where we step in. We step in in the, in the rescue process and um, building a new future for women who've been trafficked here in the state. And O'Malley has just made incredible strides forward. Um, just 
really stepping into a new life in such a beautiful way. And her dream is to be the best mom she possibly can. You heard some of the things that we were able to buy and, and stock up in this apartment to help this, this young mother uh, succeed uh, in her goals and her dreams. And that is truly the love of Jesus um, into someone's life. These are real people um, and you made a real difference. So thank you so much. That's, that's what the church is for, isn't it? I love that. So good. And that, that is who we want to be. I don't know if you heard that. She was, uh, she was living in a car with three kids and one on the way. So um, I don't know if you feel blessed today, but uh, I feel blessed. And uh, we are blessed to be a blessing to her. And so this is just something we do every year. Uh, we realized that uh, we can give you some little trinkets and try to say Happy Mother's Day. But uh, what we found out is that you moms are most blessed when you can be a blessing to others. And so thank you. Uh, for being a part of that. Uh, we are in a series uh, called Human Steeple, and if you're wondering what that title is about, basically a, a steeple is an architectural element that you see on the top of churches, and it was designed to direct people's eyes towards heaven. A lot of times you would look across a city, and, and the highest point of a community would be the steeple on the top of a church. And at the same time, as you look across the world today, there are many churches closing their doors. There are a lot of buildings that are just empty, vacant buildings. And the church is struggling. And so we decided to slow down and just take a look at this and, and, and have a discussion for a, a series of talks about the church and, and, and trying to come up with what, what is the difference between a living church, a life-giving church, and a dead church that is slowly falling apart. And what we realized is that buildings don't build churches. Churches big build buildings, but buildings don't build churches. You can have a great building, um, and in fact, we're talking about expanding our facility. As you can see, we're slowly running out of space here in, uh, in our services, and we want to continue with the mission that God has for us. So we believe God's calling us to take a step of faith and to expand our space. And at the same time, what we're saying is that this place is bricks and mortar. It's drywall and paint. Um, there's nothing special or sacred about the building. It's the people that are in it. And we said this, that you can't actually go to church, you can only be the church. And understanding that will help you to see that um, as we go out and be a blessing to our community, as we go out and live the good news of the kingdom of God in our city, people will get saved, people will hear the gospel, and we will see the movement continue. But if we as individuals don't live this way, you can't build an awesome enough building uh, to move uh, the way that people, if they're surrendered to the Spirit, can move. And so we think that people can do what a building will never do. And that's as representations of the gospel, the kingdom of God to our city, that we will see lives changed. And that's who we're supposed to be. So that's the idea of this human steeple thing. It's funny, some of you have come up and said, Brian, I did some steepling this week. I directed some eyes towards heaven. I blessed somebody. I uh, forgave somebody. I helped somebody. And, and when you do that, people will see Jesus. And that's what we want to be. That's the kind of people we want to be. And so that's what this series is all about. Last week we talked about the Holy Trinity. And I don't know if your head is still spinning. Mine is. Um, if, you were, if you missed that talk, it's all online. You can go watch it there. Um, but we talked about how God is three and God is one. And there's this beautiful diversity and unity within the Trinity himself. And, and I hope that at the end of the day, I didn't fix any problems for you. Because if you try to fix the Trinity, you end up distorting it. 
So we don't want to fix it. It's difficult to understand. We just want to try to grasp in such a, in just a small way that God is this huge person. This, he, he can, he's, he's bigger than we think he is and try to understand who he is a little bit deeper. And this week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is awesome. I'm really excited about it. And then the next few weeks, we're going to lead towards uh, what's called Pente- Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we're going to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I'm a little distracted today because all I seem to be able to think about is camping lately. I don't know, anybody else with me? I just want to get out and go camping. I went out yesterday and um, took the four-wheeler out and just enjoyed uh, being outside with my little boy. And this is just the time of year that we love to do this. And when we moved up to Alaska uh, eight years ago, we, we first, we realized that um, when you get here, you have to take out a second mortgage on your house to buy all the camping gear that you need to actually enjoy this amazing stay. And so, so you're slowly, you know, acquiring the tent you know, and the sleeping bags and the, the camp stove and all the things that you need to enjoy this place. And remember, uh, a couple years in, we didn't have a big tent yet for our family, but we wanted to go camping and, and fishing down at the Kenai. So it was dip net season. We drove down there. We didn't have a tent, but we had an extended cab pickup, right? So the plan was to truck uh, camp and just camp inside the truck. And so we fished all day long, us and our little kids, and um, now we're covered in sand and fish guts and all kinds of nasty, and then we're going to go sleep in a confined space (laughs) together, which is a great idea. So we all load into the pickup at like 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, my wife and I are laying down in the back seat, and two are laying on the front seat, and there's one on the floor, right? And so we close the doors, and, and we all go to sleep. And about 1.30 in the morning, I wake up, and it's like there is a ton of bricks on my chest. I'm hyperventilating. I can't breathe. I'm just like, trying to figure out what's going on. And, and I realize that there are five bodies in this small space, and there is zero oxygen, right? We are suffocating. Our brains are shutting down. And, and like, I am the last-ditch effort to get these people out of the truck before we die, right? So, so I open the doors, and I'm, like, throwing children out in their sleeping bags. And my wife and I are stumbling out of the truck, breathing, gasping for air because we couldn't breathe inside that small space. It's funny. I don't think a whole lot about breathing, and I don't think a whole lot about oxygen until I don't have it, Right? You know, you don't think much about it, but you are breathing all day long. Uh, 23,000 breaths, they say, you actually take in a day. All through this service, you are breathing, and it's keeping you alive. That's 11,000 liters of air going in and out of your lungs. When you breathe, you breathe in what's 20% oxygen, and you breathe out what's 15% oxygen. So your body consumes oxygen, and that's what keeps your cells alive. They say that the the body, at a minute without air, cells begin to die. At three minutes without air, you start to, the the beginning stages of brain damage. At six minutes without air, it's kind of the turnaround point where it becomes difficult to turn back, but if you get oxygen, uh, you may be able to recover. At 10 minutes without air, it's sort of the, the, the point of no return. Most of the time, people don't make it at that length of time without air. And in fact, people have trained themselves to go without air for a long period of time. I don't know if you know this, but there are people who are deep sea divers that train themselves. I think the current record is 22 minutes without air that somebody has gone. I thought it was really interesting this week, but what you may not know is for him to make it 22 minutes without air, he spent 20 minutes hyperventilating. And if you know anything about this whole, the anatomy of this what you understand is that when they do that, they, they hyperventilate to hyperoxygenate their, their bloodstream so they can make it a long time without air. So you're like, what's the point? I get it. This is high school biology, but, but what's the point? Here's the thing. In the Bible, um, it talks about the Holy Spirit. And the word for the Holy Spirit is pneuma. 
It's where we get the word pneumatics. It's the study of the Holy Spirit is actually called pneumatology, and it simply means air, it means wind, or means breath or oxygen. And it's something that the church needs. I, I truly believe that oxygen through the Holy Spirit is, is the difference between life and death in the church. That the reason that there are so many dead churches in the world is often because the, the Spirit of God is not working through and in the people of the church. And this is a huge topic, you guys. And, and, and I really honestly feel that uh, this is a message that uh, the enemy doesn't want us to, to talk about. Um, Wednesday night, we had somebody who actually had a seizure in the front row in the middle of service. Um, we've had a lot of just struggles and behind-the-scenes strange things going on in the church. Uh, but I think we want to just stop and acknowledge that, that there is an opposition to the church today. Do you know that? Do you know that there's an enemy that actually seeks to, to, to steal and kill and destroy? Do you know that? Because I think as a Christian, I kind of acknowledge that, but I don't live um, really looking for that and aware of that and, and actually, you know, protecting myself from that by being a man of prayer, by being aware and, and noticing those things. But there is actually an enemy opposing the church, opposing you, and opposing me. And so we have to acknowledge that as we walk into this conversation, there's a lot of baggage when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Um, depending on your background, if you're from, like, my background, I grew up a Baptist, and we never talked about the Holy Spirit, like, ever, right? And so some of you are here from more of that background, and you're just, you're sweating, right? You're, what's he going to say? Is it going to get weird in church today? Some of you are from more of, like, a, like a charismatic background, and you're just excited, right? Holy Spirit, that's, that's what it's about. I'm, I'm stoked up on this, right? And others of you, you're, you know, your, your friend brought you to church, and, uh, you know, you're totally new to this stuff, and when you think of the Holy Spirit, you just think of maybe, like, like the force from Star Wars, or you just think of people like speaking in tongues, or you, know, you just think of crazy things um, in the church, just things that, that you're not used to, I would say. And, and I don't know where you're coming from, but I would just ask you to kind of lay your tradition or your experience aside, and we're going to go to the scriptures and talk about the Holy Spirit, because I think that God wants the church to be empowered by His Spirit. And I think it's literally the difference between a church that continues to be a life-giving church to its city in a church that slowly dies off. Because you guys know that, that we can close our doors in six months, right? We could close our doors in a year. Churches do it all the time. They go from thriving, growing churches to dead churches in no time at all for a lot of different reasons. But, but what I don't want is for the reason to be that we never surrendered to the Holy Spirit and that we didn't make a habit as a church to acknowledge that God himself wants to work in and through his people and that we are actually empowered to do greater things than any of us could do on our own. And we want to start there and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us. And, and so I'm going to bring us to John chapter 14. You can open up your Bibles to that. Um, and actually, you know what? We're going to pray. How about that? Let's stop and pray and then we're going to open the word a little bit together. Jesus, thank you so much for your church. And we do acknowledge that, Father, there is an opposition to your Spirit's work in the world today. God, there is an opposition to us surrendering fully to you. God, whether it be from the outside or it be from the inside, God, we recognize that there is sin within us, God, selfishness within us, fear within us that would keep us from experiencing all of the freedom that you have for us. So God, we just pray your peace in this room today. We pray that this would be a, a place of freedom today, that somebody coming from a, a religious background, a broken background, would come here and, and, and to be here with, with, with God's people would feel like a breath of fresh air. That's our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So John chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples, okay? And Jesus is trying to give them an idea of what's going to happen. And so we know this, Jesus is the presence of God in the flesh. And we've talked about this since the beginning of the series, that God's desire has always been to walk with his people. We see in the garden that God is walking with Adam and with Eve. This beautiful relationship, this intimacy in, in connection. Then sin enters the world and the relationship is severed. And then we see God making efforts over the generations to be in community with his people. We see God residing on a mountain and Moses ascending the mountain to, to speak to God and to communicate with him and to communicate with the people. We see God moving into the, the tabernacle, into this tent, in the presence of God in this holy of holies, this place separated by this curtain. We see God moving into the temple once again, this holy location, the presence of God. The people always knew that it was so important. The first thing they wanted, whether it be setting up camp or setting up a city, was the presence of God with them. This was a huge deal. And then we knew that, we know this, that through the prophecies and through the stories of all we see, that God's desire has always been to be with his people, and he always had a plan that one day God would reside with and in his church. And so Jesus, we know Jesus, when he is crucified, that the, the, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, and there was something new that was coming. And Jesus wants to tell his disciples, hey, something is happening. I'm going to go away. I'm going to be going. And so these guys had walked with the, the physical representation of God himself. Now Jesus is like, I'm going away. I'd imagine they're getting freaked out. But Jesus wants them to know it's going to be better. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give, with you, give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus just says, quiet your hearts. Don't be afraid. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending my spirit. Just peace. I mean, the first thing I just think of, you know, I think of when, when we think of the Holy Spirit, there should be peace in our hearts. When we think of God's presence, there should be peace in our hearts. So Jesus says, I am going with you. You don't need to worry. I will be with you for the end, to the end of the days. And so there was actually a prophecy, John the Baptist, if you've heard of him before, he talks about the Spirit coming in Luke chapter 3. It says this in verse 16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? How cool is that? I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, so then we're going to actually flip over to Acts chapter 2, and this is the moment of Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came upon the, upon the church. And so at this point, the disciples have been waiting like Jesus told them to. He said, just wait, and the Holy Spirit will come. And so they're waiting, like, okay, any minute now, Holy Spirit's coming. There's probably 120 or so uh, people that are part of the church at this point. It's a small movement. And, and, and the day of Pentecost, this is a special day. There's actually a celebration. It, it was a harvest celebration that people would have been celebrating at this time. So you'd have people from all the surrounding regions and communities in one small space celebrating the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1, this is where we pick it up. This is when the Holy Spirit comes on the church. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Okay, so that'd be crazy, right? 
Imagine, so we're in here, there's no windows open, and the wind starts blowing, right? So the wind starts rushing through the house. I don't know if you remember the wind storms from a few years ago in Alaska, when the trees were all knocked over, and I can, ima- I can remember sitting inside of the house, and the pressure in the home, and, and the air moving around outside. This is all inside of the house. Wind is blowing. The Holy Spirit comes into the house. Verse 3, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, it's going to get fun, right? Are you ready? So, Holy Spirit comes on the church. There's wind, there's these, these tongues of fire that appear over these people, and then they begin to speak in other tongues. This word tongues is, is the Greek word glossia, which is where we get the word glossary, which simply means like an index of known words. So what's happening here? What's happened? So all of a sudden, all of these people begin to speak these known languages, these languages that they have never learned before. Crazy, right? I can imagine. They were very surprised by this, and it was this uproar. They started getting louder and louder as they're all speaking these different languages. In verse 5, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, You know, that would make sense. Bewildered by this because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So this word language is actually the word dialecto, which is where we get the word dialect. Okay, so here's what's going on. These people, the Holy Spirit comes on the church. They begin to speak all of these different languages that they've never learned before, right? And not only do they speak these different languages, but they speak them in these people's perfect dialect, right? So Josue, who's leading worship this morning, his, uh, his native language is actually Spanish, right? So he has to work to speak English, you know, and, but his natural language is Spanish. But if, if I talk to Josue in Spanish, like I took high school Spanish one, right? It, it just sounds like a white dude from Alaska trying to speak Spanish, right, to Josue. And he'll smile and kind of, you know, good job, you're giving it an effort, but it does not sound like real Spanish. What, what we're talking about here is these people are speaking in known languages, but even in the, their own dialects of the people that are listening to them. Because even in English, there are different dialects of English, right? You go to the south, you go to the north, there are different dialects, but these people are speaking these languages that they didn't know before in people's actual dialects. And it says this, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, aren't all of these the rednecks from Galilee? How did they learn our language? What's going on here? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? This is crazy. This doesn't make... So the people in the area, they show up for this this celebration of harvest, and they hear this, this crazy sound of people speaking their own language, and they come over here, and somebody is speaking their own dialect. And you might not think this is a big deal unless you've traveled abroad, which if you've traveled out of the United States and you've been in a place where you're the only English-speaking person in the area, if you hear somebody speak English, your ear perks right up, right? You're like, English, I want to go talk to that guy, right? Because I feel way out of my element. This is how they would have felt. That is my language. Somebody's speaking my language. Verse 12, and they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. 
right? They're drunk, right? So half the crowd's like, or, or a certain portion of the crowd is saying, this is amazing. What's going on? Wow, I got to find out what's happening here. The other part of the crowd is like, they're just all wasted. Just don't pay any attention, which is funny if you think, like, I've never met somebody who, like, learned a new na- language when they were drunk, right? You don't tend to get better at speaking when you get drunk, but these people came up with this excuse, like, they must be just drinking too much. We don't know what's going on. Okay, so imagine this. The Holy Spirit shows up. People start speaking these known languages. And other people came in and they wanted to hear what this was all about. So you've got all of these these people who hadn't yet heard of Jesus or hadn't yet received Jesus who are hearing this amazing thing and they are responding to it. I want you to write this down. When the Spirit begins to move in the church, some people will be captivated and others will criticize. And you you can expect that. That when the Spirit of God begins to move in a church, remember the church is you. We are the church. When, when the Spirit of God begins to move in you, you're going to say, do, and, and act like certain things that somebody will criticize. And, and so what that means is the first step to being driven by the Spirit and following the Spirit means giving up your fear of being criticized. Getting rid of that fear that somebody's not going to like what you do because you can expect that if you follow God, somebody's not going to like it. You can expect that certain people will be captivated by it. Others will criticize it, just like in this moment. And so all these people are speaking these languages. Then it says this, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. <laughs> now this is really interesting, right? Why tongues of fire? It's kind of strange. It doesn't make sense. Why tongues of fire? Well, fire in Scripture represents a few things. It represents judgment and sanctification, so judgment and, and, and the process of making somebody or making a part of their life holy and look more like Jesus, okay? So that's what fire represents. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will di- disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. There's this idea in Scripture that fire is like a re- refining thing. That it, that it can make you more like Jesus. That's, a, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, is to make you more like Jesus, okay? And just like fire refines metals and removes the impurities, that's the idea that fire, the Holy Spirit, is it's like this fire refining you. So it shows up in tongues of fire. Another interesting thing, we read in James chapter 3, verse 6, in the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining or staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Okay, so the Bible talks about the tongue as a very strong member, right? And we know this. We know this. You have said things that have wrecked people, and you have heard things that have wrecked you, and at the very same time, you have said things that have changed somebody's life for the better, And somebody has encouraged you and said something to you that has changed your life for the better. So the tongue has such power. And so write this down. It's interesting. The first thing to be sanctified by the Spirit was the tongue. The first thing that that was sanctified by the Spirit was the tongue. Think about that. When we receive the Spirit, when God comes into our lives, one of the first things that should change should be our speech. All of a sudden, we say different things. We use our tongues to do different things, to build people up, not to break them down. We control our speech. We don't just fly off the handle. And I get it. You're like, I fly off the handle sometimes. This is a process. But God shows up through the Holy Spirit 
And the first thing he does is he changes their speech and they begin to speak these, these other dialects, these other languages that they didn't know. And they were all filled with the Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, let's open this for just a second. The idea of tongues. Now, this is a divisive topic in the church. If you've been around for a little while, you know that. And here's what I want to start off with, is that, is that understanding how the Spirit works today, like we can, we can see this differently and still be the same family. Amen? Like we can be part of the same family and we can see how the Spirit works differently. But I, what I want us to do is just set aside our traditions and maybe our expectations and just go to the Word a little bit. Because this idea of tongues, I believe, I believe that God still has something for us in the church today um, in, in the gift of tongues. So the first, th- there are two different types of this that we see in Scripture. In Acts 2, we see tongues being this, this other language. Like all of a sudden, you didn't take Rosetta Stone, but you know Spanish, right? And, and all of a sudden, you can speak to somebody. And here's the thing. We have incidences of this in the world today. We have missionaries who experience this. I know people who have been around this. I, have, I personally have never done this, but I believe that this happens. So this first type of tongues is this public ministry used to declare the gospel to people in their own native tongue. And I believe that that exists in the world today. But the other type of tongues is what I believe that 99% of the people who hear the word tongues think about. And this is this other sort of prayer language, this unknown, some call it an angelic language. That's a different type of tongue. And, and you can read about that, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, uh, 14, 1, and, or 2 through 4. There, there is a lot about this, but this idea that you would sort of have this other language and it would be used for you to communicate to God. And this is more used in a private setting because this is the language that nobody else is interpreting. There's no building up of the body. It's not helping people in the area. It's just something for you to communicate to God. Some people talk about it like this, like, Brian, I have this prayer language that, you know, when I'm praying to God, I kind of run out of words at like a minute. Anybody else deal with that? Like at about a minute, I kind of run out of stuff to say to God. I'm supposed to be a man or a woman of prayer, but I just don't know what to say. But then there's this language that I have in speaking with God that I, I don't know what it is, but I, I use it in speaking with God. And it's like, it's a way of communicating things to God that I don't even know how to communicate. And so some people have this gift. But once again, this is used in a private setting. It's not meant to be interpreted. It's not meant to build up the church or to bring people to Jesus. Now, there's a few people that see these gifts differently. Some people land on what's called the cessationist side, who believe that the gifts of the Spirit have passed on. That the, the, the gifts of the Spirit were for the early church, for the establishment of the early church, but then we don't need them anymore because the church has been established. And so we, as ACF Church, we would reject that perspective. Um, as a leadership, we believe that God continues to use the gifts of the Spirit in the church today. Uh, other people run to the other side, which would be maybe sort of like a, like a hyper-Pentecostal um, obsession with the gifts and, and the, the hand of God to the point that you forget to seek the face of God. That you forget that the gifts of the Spirit are all about building the church and all about showing people Jesus. And they're all about honoring Him. They're not about you. And they're not about you having some kind of special gift. And so we wouldn't land on that side either, where we, we just are obsessed with the hand of God to the point that we forget to seek the face of God. In the middle, here we are. We believe the gifts are, are living and active in the church today. We believe that that is what the church needs. We brought up this scripture uh, last week. We said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? 
Freedom, that's right. And I believe that what the church is missing today, why people walk into churches and it doesn't feel like freedom, it doesn't feel like chains come off of them, it feels like chains come on them, is because people are not walking in the Spirit. So we as the church, we need to take this seriously. Even if you're like me from a Baptist background and you're like, I'm uncomfortable, Brian, you need to think about this stuff because I believe that this is the difference between life and death in the church. There's diversity and there's unity. Uh, There are other people who see the gift of tongues and they're like, you know what, that is the sign that you have the Holy Spirit. Some people believe very strongly that if you don't speak in some kind of foreign tongue that you don't have the Spirit. In fact, a few years ago, I was in Missouri with my dad. Uh, we were hunting, and uh, Sunday rolled around, and we were like, hey, let's go to a local church. And so we go wandering into this church, little small town Missouri church, wearing our camouflage, right? You know, little deer blood on the pants and stuff. We walk in, and uh, th- this lady comes up, who's the pastor, Pastor I don't, Susie McGee or whatever from, you know, it's an alias, uh, from, you know, little town in Missouri. And she comes up to us, and she's like, hey, boys, welcome to church. I'm like, thanks. And she goes, are you boys filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and so I'd been like in ministry for a few years at this point, and, and I'm like, I think so. And, and she goes, well, like, you, you'd know. She's like, you, you speak in tongues, you speak you prophecies, and, you know, utterances of prophecy. And, and I'm like, nope. She, she's like, okay. And she walks back, and she gets up to teach. And so then we sit down, we get our little pamphlet here, and I'm like, oh, it's a sermon about prayer. That's cool. We'll hear a sermon about prayer. She gets up there. She goes, open to Acts chapter 2. And I'm like, this ain't a sermon about prayer. And she goes on and on for 60 minutes about the gift of tongues and how this was the sign that if you had the Holy Spirit, you would have the gift of tongues. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, or if you didn't have the gift of tongues, then you knew that you did not have the Holy Spirit. I would reject that. I I, I don't think you can back that up uh, biblically at all. Once again, Paul is so clear that the church is beautifully diverse. 1 Corinthians uh, 10.8 says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Do you hear that? You're all going to be given different gifts. You all have different abilities. And once again, last week, we talked about how in the Trinity, there is no jealousy. The Holy Spirit never says, well, Jesus, you need to be convicting people of sin. You know, and the Father is never like, Holy Spirit, you need to, you, need to, you know, be the body and you need to show up on earth and, and walk on water and go to the cross. Like each person of the Trinity has their place. And I believe that each person in the church has their place. And you may have this gift, and this may be something in your life, or you may not. But here's one thing I do know, and I want you to listen to this, is that when the Spirit shows up, just like in the book of Acts, when the Spirit shows up in your life, it is undeniable. When the Spirit shows up, it is undeniable. You couldn't have missed this. People speaking in tongues, this mighty wind, tongues of fire, like this was undeniable. When the Spirit comes into your life, you may not speak tongues, but there will be a change in your life. And you will see it. And some of you are here today and you're like, Brian, if I'm honest, I've been going to church a long time, but I haven't seen any change in my life. Like, if there's change, it's minimal. I want you to know that there will be a sizable change in your life when the Spirit comes in to you. And once again, this is all about showing people Jesus. 
I want you to write this down. The gifts of the Spirit should be used to point people to Jesus. That's, that's the purpose, to build up the church and to point people to Jesus. It, it is always about us developing our humility, not growing in arrogance and saying, well, you don't do this or you don't do that. We say, no, the Spirit's going to work how he chooses to work within all of us, and it's going to grow us in humility because who are we to be used by God, right? Who are we to have God's gifts poured out into us and through us into the world? Like, who are we to do that? And even in Paul's writings, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. But you need to know this, like, Paul, as you hear him talk about the gifts in his life, you see this humility, almost a fear, like, man, I, I don't know, God's going to use me, and, and he has confidence, but at the same time, it, there's humility in his ability uh, and his, his, his perspective on the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the, the whole church, he's, he's speaking about this gift of tongues again, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So once again, he's like, you don't want to just do this for no reason. I mean, there's no reason for you to just speak, get up and speak in tongues and nobody's interpreting and it's, you know, in some kind of unknown heavenly language that nobody can understand. There's no reason for that. And he's, he's actually thinking about the de-churched or the unchurched, the people coming in from the outside who are like, I think these people are nuts, right? Maybe you've been in a situation like that. So once again, the gifts are so great, and we shouldn't be afraid of them, but Paul gives guidelines to the church in Corinth because they were not operating in the right way in the gifts. The gifts were not operating out of love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talks all about how the foundation of using the gifts is love for people. If it's just building you up, if it's just like, you know, a high for you to have fun or, or to, to feel like you've been empowered by the Spirit, that's fine for your house, but in the gathering of the church, there's, there's no need for that. It's not helping the body. So this might bring up, well, who is the Spirit? which is different than what is the Spirit. We already said the Spirit is not like the force, right? Not like, oh, I'm going to use the Spirit to levitate the chair. And the, you know, that, that's not what the Spirit of God is. The Spirit is a person. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the Spirit is a person that gives life. He gives life to those he, who he intersects with. Psalm 139.7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? So there's this idea that the spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't get away from him. You feel alone today? You feel alone tomorrow? Know this, the spirit is with you. For those who are in Jesus, he's with you. The spirit can be grieved. We see this in Isaiah 63.10. It says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and, he, and himself fought against them. So you can actually grieve the Spirit. The Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So do you get this? Like the Spirit is a, is a person. It's not some kind of force. It's not some kind of unknown entity. He is a person. He can be grieved. He can be rejected. You can deny the Holy Spirit, okay? We see this moment, and Jesus is preaching in Galilee, and he's just fed the 5,000. And, and he talks about this idea. He brings up this interesting thing of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and he's trying to get through to get the, the message through to them. And he says this in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. 
The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So once again, you catch this, that these people, as, as well as us, we think we get life from food. We think we get life, you know, from, from enjoying certain things or, you know, getting out and recreating in this beautiful place we live in. But what, what Jesus is saying to people is, is that life comes from the Spirit. Once again, that, He is our oxygen. He is the difference between life and death. And if you're here today and you are not a believer in Jesus, you can have fun, but you cannot have life because life comes from the Spirit. And you can, you can kind of conjure up a good time once in a while and, and, it, and then it runs out and you gotta go do something else or go from this high to the next high. But, but the, the life that we get through the Spirit of God is a life that can't be taken from us. It's a life that doesn't run out when we're having a bad day or struggling or things aren't going well. We can have life through the Spirit of God. Luke 4, 18. We're gonna close out this section with this verse because I believe that this really is a picture of what happens with the Spirit. Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Do you guys see it? Do you see that when the spirit shows up, this is the stuff that the church does? Do you see that that's the difference between a living church and a dead church? Because once again, we don't have to be a living church in a month and in six months, and in a year. We can stop following the Spirit or not seek Him at all. But what I, I believe, like when I'm reading uh, Acts chapter 2 this week, I was getting excited for our church. Like I was getting excited, like what if a thousand something people got together this week and just said, I surrender to the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come into me, use me, guide me, and I'm gonna make it all about showing people Jesus. I mean, how would that shape our city and our community? But it begins with us doing a little bit of work on the inside. And I just, as we close, I want you to just think about a couple things. First, where are you at with the Holy Spirit? Are you just a little freaked out? A little nervous, you know? Like, I don't know, Brian. What if crazy things can happen? Yes, they can, right? It can get a little weird when people start following the Spirit. But it's a good kind of weird, right? I mean, this is the stuff that changes lives is when people are operating in the power of the Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Brian, I have never experienced this. I have never felt this. I have never been used by the Spirit or felt empowered by the Spirit. I don't even know that I've seen a real dramatic change in my life. And so I'm going to talk about three different kinds of people that are probably in the room uh, today. The first one I would say is this, the oxygen-free person. This is somebody who is dead without the Spirit. Literally, you have no oxygen in your lungs. If the Holy Spirit is like life to you, you do not have life. Okay, the Bible says that we are born dead in our sin. That literally, apart from Christ, we are walking around, but we are actually dead in our spirits, okay? 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So if you are here today and you do not have the Spirit and He has not changed you, then what you have to do is reject the truth. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe you've done that and you're saying, I don't know. I don't know if I believe this stuff. Believe there is a God or believe there is a Spirit. And, and, and maybe you're in that camp today. Maybe you think that, man, I thought I was operating as a believer, but if I'm honest, I don't really believe that God is living and active in the world today, which I would encourage you just go back to the beginning 
go back to this beginning point of acknowledging that God is, God is at work. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel, as Jesus said. The second kind of person I would call oxygen depleted. This is somebody who is alive but lacking power. Now, this is interesting. This might be kind of a shift in your theology, depending on where you come from. This idea that you can actually have stepped from darkness into light and have surrendered your life to to Jesus at some point, to some capacity, and maybe you saw a change in your life, but you are not actually operating in the power of the Spirit. Sure, he's come in, and you've actually been given a new life, given a new identity in Christ, and maybe this is you today, and you're like, yeah, Brian, I haven't thought much about the Holy Spirit. I kind of just, I prayed that prayer that one time. I went to church and, you know, I, I stuck my hand up at the end of the camp and said, okay, I'll be a believer in Jesus. But if I'm honest, like, man, I don't feel empowered by the Spirit. It's interesting. Acts chapter 19, verse 2. Now, Paul, he's in Ephesus. He sees some disciples and he wants to see how they're doing. And he says, and it said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. I don't even know, right? So there's this, this idea that you could believe but not operate in the power of the Spirit. And maybe this is you today and you're here and you're like, man, that's me. Like, I, I think I'm a believer, but man, there's not a whole lot of fruit of the Spirit in my life and I'm not seeing myself being used in such a way that I'm pointing people to Jesus. Like, honestly, if I, if I know somebody needs to hear the gospel, I kind of run the other way. If the conversation gets a little spiritual, I clam up. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I get really uncomfortable. You know, I don't step out into those opportunities. When it comes to serving people, I don't do that in a supernatural way. I'll help people if it's convenient. But I don't really go the extra mile. If that's you today, then I want to invite you to be empowered by the Spirit, to be fully surrendered to the Spirit. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Once again, this is the difference between life and death. If you felt like your faith is pretty dry, you felt like it hasn't gone anywhere, I want you to just start by asking the Spirit of God to to work in your life and to move in your life in, in a new way. Make sure it's not about filling, get, filling you up or, or about you. It's about actually building the church and being used by God. Because once again, when you receive Jesus, you have the Spirit. So, so don't worry about that. If you receive Jesus, you have the Spirit. He lives inside of you. But that doesn't mean you're surrendered to Him. And that doesn't mean you're operating in His power. The third person in the room, I would call this person oxygen-enriched. Surrendered and affected. This is the kind of person that when, when God moves in your heart and he says something to you or you read something in scripture and the spirit illuminates that to you and you're like, man, that's for me, you just, you go and do it. You don't ask questions anymore. You've just learned through your life that, that God's way just is better. It's just better. So you just do it and you see life. You see people around you coming alive. You see people experiencing hope. You might even see somebody get saved. Because you're operating in the Spirit. You just do as He calls. John 3, 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Listen. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is what it's like. If you are somebody who's born of the Spirit, you're the kind of person that flows and goes with the Spirit. 
Where he calls you, that's where you'll go. What he wants you to do, that's what you do. Even if it's difficult, even if it takes sacrifice, even if it costs you time and money and energy, you just do it because it's better. Think of a church full of people who did that. Would our city be able to deny that the Holy Spirit is at work? I don't think so. I think cool things will happen. And I see them happen in our church. And I just, you guys, I'm just excited for more of this. And so I don't know which of these places you're in today. Maybe the reality is you have never truly received the gospel. If you're honest, you prayed a prayer at some point, but you didn't surrender to the Spirit. You're like, I don't want that. I want the salvation. I don't want to go to hell. But this whole idea of surrendering to God, that's not, that's not for me. Then you have to go back and decide what you want to do with your faith. Because it's all about surrendering. It's all about being moved by God and following him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I am so grateful that your spirit is at work in our community. Uh, Father, that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent us your helper. When we read your word that, um, God, you are helping us understand it, as we go through our days, you are convicting our hearts of what to do and what not to do. And Father, that you've actually given your church gifts and abilities that are so far beyond us that we can't help but thank you for them. We can't take credit for those things. God, I want to pray for the person in the room here today who, God, has never really surrendered to the work of your Spirit in their lives. Maybe they've at some point stepped into faith and, God, they're really young in their faith, but they've never truly surrendered to the Spirit. I pray today could be the day that you'd fill them with peace. We know your Spirit gives peace. God, that you'd, you'd fill them with a sense of gratitude and joy of their salvation. We know that your spirit does that. And God, you would just give them motivation to be part of something better than what they've settled for. And I want to pray for the person here today who um, has been sitting on the outside and uh, kind of looking in at the church and looking in at what's going on here. But God, something in their heart says that there is something real about this. And uh, they've been living apart from God for too long that maybe today could be the day that they make that decision to surrender to you. And God, I pray for the person who's been empowered and surrendered. God, I pray that you would give them new vision and new excitement to be part of what you call them to do. To show them the fruit of their labor, God. Show them how they're a part of something greater than themselves. And Jesus, we just want to be a church who follows your spirit. We want to be a life-giving, surrendered church. When people come into this building and, and get around us, we want people to feel freedom and peace and joy. So God, may we worship you from that place. May we worship you, God, because your spirit is here. Your presence is here right now, God, and you deserve our very best. So God, we give you our praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.